Okay, hopefully you can hear me. Great to see everyone. I know it's been a rainy weekend, but uh, we are here on the Lord's Day, and we are very blessed to get to be together in a building that keeps us dry and warm. Hope you have your Bibles this morning. We're going to be looking at John chapter 3 and verse 16 as we look at it uh, kind of from a, a at, at the beginning here from a little broader biblical perspective and then honing in on John 3 and verse Verse 16, you know, uh, several years ago, I was knocking doors uh, with a companion of mine, a friend of mine, down in New Zealand, and was supposed to be in New Zealand this last month, and it got delayed for a year, so hopefully, uh, Lord willing, I'll be down there in, uh, in about 12 months or so. My parents did mission work down under, I guess, New Zealand, you know, think of down under being Australia, but New Zealand is uh, not too far. I think it's about a thousand miles from Australia. My parents did mission work there from 1970 to 1975, and I've been there uh, one time and look forward to going back. But I was down there the one time for a three-week campaign, knocking doors, and we came across one gentleman and asked him if he would be interested in a Bible study. And this was his response. He said, listen, John 3.16 is the only Bible that I need. John 3.16. How would you respond to someone who said, you know, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3.16. It is one awe-inspiring verse. I mean, we've been talking some, like last night we talked about um, the unique Savior of the world, and we discussed how the entire message of the Bible is about the Savior, about the Messiah about the anointed one, about Jesus, who would be from Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, the one who would come and bruise or crush the head of Satan, the very first messianic prophecy. The Bible is about, is about Jesus from beginning to end, the coming of Jesus. Jesus was here, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus is going to return, which, Lord willing, we'll talk about during the worship hour. The Bible's about Jesus, and if you were to ask me, Eric, what is the best, maybe, summary verse of the Bible? If you were to ask me, Eric, what is your favorite verse in the Bible? I'd have to say John chapter 3 and verse 16. I mean, it is, it's, it's you know, all, all of Scripture is from God. But God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten, monogenes, only begotten Son, that whoever, red, yellow, black, and white, wherever you are, whoever you are, whatever you have done, and I've done a lot of bad things in my life, and I'm so thankful that Jesus said, that God says, whoever believes in Him should not perish, do not have to be lost, even though we, the wages of sin is death, eternal death, as John would say in the book of Revelation, the second death, which none, none of us wants to experience. He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish. Oh, on the contrary, but have 
everlasting life. I mean, it's just, if you were to ask me, what's your favorite? It's John 3.16. What's the best? Well, all of Scripture is inspired of God. It might be not so good to say what's the best, but is it a great summary of the Bible? The Bible is about God and man. It's about God and His grace and man messing up and sinning and God sending His only begotten Son into the world. This is what He had been promising throughout the Old Testament. And then Jesus came and He did exactly what He said He was going to do. And then the very next verse says, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Jesus did not come when He came 2,000 years ago to sentence everyone to eternal death. He came for the very opposite of that, to save anyone and everyone who would respond to His love, to His grace, to His mercy, to His sacrifice, in trusting faith to be saved. Now, as we'll talk about next hour, Jesus is going to come back, and when He comes back, He will come back as the judge of all the earth. But His initial coming was to save people from the consequences of their sins. John 3.16, I don't know that it can get any better than that. However, we need to keep in mind that this is not the only verse that God gave us. God gave us more than one. I mean, He gave us more than one verse about what God did for us. God demonstrated His own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, God wants everyone to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, the previous verse. Or, God is not slack concerning His promises, some count slackness, but is long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Again, just one of the themes of the Bible. God doesn't want anyone... In fact, let me think about this. If you wanted something for someone else, you wanted to save someone from maybe a, a murderer... Uh, you wanted to save someone from being harmed physically from someone else, and you were willing to, to protect that person, well, that would be commendable. That would be courageous. Well, Jesus came from heaven to earth. He left the splendors of heaven to come to this old world, which cannot compare to the splendors of heaven. And the Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 2 that He, that he humbled Himself even to the point of protecting you and me from the consequences of sin, eternal death. So He took our places on the cross, and the Bible is about that. And John 3.16 is an awe-inspiring verse. However, to think that John 3.16, or maybe some other verses with those same kind of beautiful truths in, uh, encompassed in them, they aren't the only verses that God has given us. The Bible tells us that the sum of thy word is truth, the psalmist would exclaim to God. Or to quote, I believe it's the New King James, the entirety, Psalm 119, 160, the entirety of God's word is truth. Amen? We don't have a right to say, well, I'm going to take this one verse and cut it out of my Bible and that will be the, the verse that I'm, the only verse I'm going to consider. When Paul met with the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20. 
he reminded them that he did not hesitate to preach. Was it a little bit of the counsel of God, a part of the counsel of God, or what did he say? The whole counsel of God. Do you know, Eric doesn't have... Now, Eric has free will, but I don't have, I don't have God's blessing to say, well, you know what, I want to preach this in God's Word, but I don't want to, I don't want to teach this over here. In fact, I mean, th- think about, think about if, if a, a, a faithful Jew said, you know what, we, we read in Deuteronomy chapter 6, the, what is known as the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And what if a, a Jew said, Moses, I hear you, and that's my Bible, and that's all the Bible I need. Wait a minute. What about, the, uh, what about the Ten Commandments under the law of Moses? And what about all those other 600 plus laws that Moses gave? In fact, Moses would say, well, wait a minute, buddy. I mean, let's go back just one page in my Bible. Of course, it would have been a probably, you know, you would have had the, the tablets in the beginning. You would have had the, the Ten Commandments. And then eventually you would have had them on some kind of scroll. That's how they were in the... The first century with, with Jesus, you remember he went into the synagogue and they opened up not the book like we have, but a scroll of Isaiah. But Moses might say, wait a minute, that, that statement there in Deuteronomy chapter 6, just, just go a few statements before that, chapter 4 and verse 2, and, and you, you'll read where Moses said, you shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it. Does that sound kind of familiar? Well, he would repeat it again in Deuteronomy chapter 12. And then you have the statement in Revelation 22, 18 and 19 and other concepts like don't add to or take away from God's word that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Not just, not just John 3, 16. Furthermore, it's, it's amazing to me how, how some will take a passage and and seemingly kind of act like, well, this is all, of I, all I need, when not only does that go against what Scripture teaches, but it kind of goes against what common sense would say. I mean, what, what child of parents would say, you know what, I, I, I only have to follow one rule of my parents, or I only have to know one thing. And maybe it's an important thing, but maybe it's honor your father and mother. Great. But what about honoring your elders or your grandparents? Or how about being submissive one to another? I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that we need to think of as, as children. Or what about just students? You know, what if there was a teacher and, and, and the teacher was, was teaching and one of the students said, well, you know, I only need to know one thing that this teacher says. How's that going to work come test time? And what if it's just a really important thing, but it's only just one thing or maybe 1% of things? How's that going, going to, to work out where you work? Well, you know, I know my boss said all of this, but I'm just going to listen to this. Well, you, you wouldn't last very long at really, I guess, about any kind of job. Isn't it, isn't it amazing and isn't it sad that a lot of people come to the Word of God with a totally just different kind of uh, illogical approach? Well, I like this verse. I like what it says, it's beautiful, it means a lot, and that's all I need. No, y'all tell you what we need is we need all of God's 
God's truth, the entirety of His truth. We need to love it and respect it. Think about this. If John 3.16 was all we needed, why did Jesus teach more? If John 3.16 was all we needed, why did John write more? If John 3.16 was all we needed, why did the Holy Spirit inspire people more? You know, there is a serious folly in one word and one verse interpretations. I mean, uh, when you look up just small words, like I wrote down a few here, like the word run or go or take or stand. You know, some of these... Some of these words have, you can look them up in the dictionary, and they will have multiple uh, definitions. I'm going to run to the store. Does that mean that Eric is going to put on his tennis shoes and literally run to the store? Well, I suppose it could, but oftentimes, more than not, when we say something like that, we mean what? Oh, you mean you're going to get into a vehicle and you're going to drive to the store. Think about this. I got this from the Guinness World Records. The word, the three-letter English word set, S-E-T. In the Oxford English Dictionary second edition, that three-letter word, and I'm not trying to make things complicated, I'm just saying we need to consider all of truth and not just a one statement of truth. In that, that dictionary, that three-letter word was... The, the, the dictionary entry for that word was 60,000 words long because it can be used in 430 different senses. Set, S-E-T. You know, some words can be used as both a noun and a verb. So you need to be careful how, how we you know, use words and how we read and, and study and, and like... Again, I'm not trying to think, make things more complicated, which we know this. In fact, the English language is full of words like this. Uh, if we, let's say that you're a Tennessee fan, and you walk into Jana's mother's house, and you see something hanging on the wall, maybe it's a painting of this guy with a hound's tooth hat on. Now, when I first went to her house, I didn't know anything about Alabama football. So I was like, is that your grandfather up there? I, did, I didn't know who that was. I, I grew up in Oklahoma. I knew who Barry Switzer was. I just didn't really know much about Bear Bryant. But you might say, I object to that object hanging on the wall. O-B-J-E-C-T. Is that a noun or a verb? Well, it can be used both ways. In fact, words are so kind of interesting and puzzling sometimes that they can mean, the same word can mean the very opposite. You have to look at it what? You have to look at it in its context. If I'm looking at an article that my good friend Kyle Butt wrote at Apologetics Press, and he says, Eric, you're going to proof my article? I said, I said oh yeah, yeah, I'm going I'm to overlook it. I'm going to overlook it. I'm going to look it over. I'm going to overlook it. But then I say, but Kyle, I'm... I'm, I'm, I'm kind of uh, stretched for time, and listen, you have a lot of footnotes here, I'm going to overlook those. I'm going to overlook, but I'm going to overlook. Furthermore, I live right off of Overlook Drive, so, I mean, it, uh, 
I mean, the word can mean different things, right? So when you, you see that there is a huge folly in one word and one verse interpretations. I mean, just think about the English word no coming from the Hebrew word yada and the Greek word gnosko. How it can mean, I mean, to know. Oh, oh yeah, I, I know in a sense. Kind of like if I said I know who Michael Jordan is, does that, does that mean like I know him like David knew Jonathan, his really, really close friend? Do I know Michael Jordan that way? Uh, no, never met him. But I know of him. So you can know of someone. You can really know someone like a close friend. And then it can be used in a more intimate sense between a husband and wife like the Bible uses it in the Old Testament, how Adam knew Eve. So words can be used in a number of different ways. And there is a folly in assuming that they can only be used one way. And there is a folly in just one verse interpretations. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. Does that mean you can't ever judge? Now, if you, if you look at the Sermon on the Mount there, Matthew chapter 7, where that verse came from, uh, just a few verses later, I mean, the Bible tells us that, you know, we don't need to um, give that which is holy to the dogs or cast pearls before swine. And he's not talking about real animals there. He would later talk about in that same, in that same chapter, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Well, are, are we supposed to distinguish between true teachers and false prophets? We'll know them by their fruits. We need to weigh their teachings against the Word of God. So to just pluck out a verse, like a lot of people, you know, I, I think of uh, sometimes, I remember hearing a, oh, a famous singer and Hollywood star, you know, using Matthew 7, 1, Judge not that you be not judged. And bless her heart, she just either didn't know what she was saying or she was just, you know, being a false teacher herself. But that's a folly to use that verse that way. Or to think of, you know, uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What, can you sin? Does God, will God strengthen you to sin? Is that what that verse means? You know, as much as I might like watching football, I'm not sure that today's Super Bowl, you know, if you got two teams and you got players who are Christians on both teams and they're talking about, I can, I can do this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and I can win this Super Bowl. Well, I'm not sure God really cares who wins that Super Bowl. What God cares about is being glorified. What God cares about is us serving Him. I'm not saying that God doesn't care about things in this life. I'm saying let's be careful. When you look at the context of Philippians chapter 4, Paul's saying, I can, I can do all things through Christ. And he's just gotten through talking about how whatever situation he, he is in, whether made low or high, that he is content. And he can be content and he can serve Christ regardless of the situation that he finds himself in. And he's writing Philippians from prison. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There is a folly in one word and one verse interpretation. So what does believe mean in John 3.16? Well, a lot of people, maybe instead of going to the Bible to define it, they will, uh, they'll just look at a dictionary. And so they come to a dictionary and they read, well, it means to consider, to be, to be true, to, um, to hold as an opinion, to suppose or to think. To accept as true or real, and so 
For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever considers Him to be true, whoever has an opinion about Jesus, about Him being the Son of God, whoever supposes that He is the Son of God, here's another lesson for us. Be careful interpreting a particular command or verse in Scripture based upon the meaning of an English word in America in the 21st century. Century, All right? I'm not, again, I'm not trying... It, it, this is not uh, complicated. I'm not trying to make it overly complicated. It's really not, but there are some things we need to consider. And we need, need to consider that if we want, want to understand what Jesus said 2,000 years ago, we need to understand some fundamental principles, the entirety of God's truth. A word is truth. Understand that words can have different meanings. And this is a very popular definition of believe. Now, I'm not trying to make light of the importance of coming to a knowledge of who Jesus is. In fact, that is the overall purpose of the Gospel of John. To come to believe that Jesus is. That Jesus is what? And I won't give you all the references here from John chapter 1 verse 1 through chapter 20 and verse 31. But these are some of the things that John would tell us. That Jesus is God, the Word, the Lamb, the Bread of Life, the Light of the World, the Door, the Good Shepherd, the Resurrection of Life, the Way, the Truth, and the Life, the True Vine, the Christ, the Son of God. And John was written, if you remember, we quoted John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31 last night, and many other signs that Jesus did in the presence of His disciples, but these were written. The, the, the seven that John wrote, plus I believe the Resurrection of Christ, that might make eight, they were written that you may believe. Why was John written? So that people would come to know who Jesus is. So I certainly don't want to make light of coming to a knowledge, even if it is just a mere, oh, that is who Jesus is. Coming to a knowledge of who Jesus is is extremely important. As I mentioned, I believe it was last night, 52% of Americans, according to one poll back in 2000, 52% of Americans think that Jesus was a good teacher but not God. Do they need to read the Gospel of John? Absolutely. Do they need to learn? Do they need to understand and consider and accept as true or real what the Gospel of John says about Jesus? Absolutely. Do we want our Muslim friends, do we want our atheist, agnostic, and skeptical friends to come to believe that God exists, that the Bible is the Word of God, and then read books like the Gospel of John to come to a knowledge of who Jesus is? Absolutely. This is the purpose of the Gospel of John. It was written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that you may have life in His name. But when we think about believe, let's, uh, let's be sure to allow the Bible to explain what believe means. Now, it, it is the case that the Bible uses, uses the term believe in this sense of just acknowledging. Let me, let me give you an example. Romans chapter 14 and verse 2. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak 
eats only vegetables. Okay, so the word believe there, uh, the, the, the noun form is pistis, the, uh, the verb form in the Greek is pistuo. It can mean simply to one thinks, you know, one has an, an idea about. The man who was born blind, who was healed of his blindness in John chapter 9, we noted last night how that was a miracle that the enemies of Jesus investigated, and they investigated thoroughly. And, and the Bible says, using this form of the word, this understand, this sense of the word believe, the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight. They did not believe. They did not what? They didn't think. They didn't have the, they were not of the opinion early on that this man had been born blind and Jesus had healed him. But the word believe can mean, um, so it can mean, you, you know, you, you have an opinion about. But here is the crux of the matter, here is the question, and here is about where we're close to getting to John chapter 3. Before we do though, the idea of having a mere mental assent or acknowledgement of who Jesus is. What, what is it that we would read back in James chapter 2 about that? About faith? James chapter 2 and verse 19, You, he says, believe that there is one God. You do well. Is it, is it good to believe that there is one God? To think that there is one God? Is it good to have a knowledge of that? Absolutely. But what is the very next thing he says in, John, in James chapter 2 and verse 19? Even the demons believe and tremble. Even the demons... Are the demons going to be saved? Just because they have a... Oh, that's Jesus. If they have not followed Jesus? Uh, think about this example in John chapter 12. From the same gospel in which you read John 3.16. John chapter 12 and verse 42 says, Nevertheless, even among the rulers, that is the rulers of the Jews, many believed in Him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess Him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Does that sound like a saving faith to you? They believed in Him. They, even among the rulers, they believed in Him. But, but what? But they were afraid to confess Him. Is confession commanded by God? Are we, prior to becoming a Christian, are we to make the good confession, as Paul would say to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6? The good confession... Uh, the confession that, that Peter made. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Our being saved by God matters and is based on what we think about Jesus, which is really what this whole weekend has been about. Who is Jesus and what do we think about Him? Well, these people thought... Some of these religious leaders, they thought that Jesus, uh, what does it say? They believed in Him. But because of the Pharisees, you see, they were afraid to confess Him. 
What were they afraid of? That they would be put out of the synagogue. What did Jesus want them to do? Do what is right. Confess Him regardless if we lose our jobs, regardless if we lose our family. That's tough, isn't it? What if, can you imagine today people who are in, for example, who are Muslims and they, all of their family are Muslims and they come to learn the truth about the God of the Bible and Jesus Christ and they confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. What, what do you think will happen to them in many places around the world? They will be, their lives will be in danger or at the very least, many if not most of their families will have nothing to do with them anymore. Jesus wants us. Now, you know, we have our own applications of those things. Love my family. I love my wife to death. But you know who God says to love more? Him. Does he say that because he, he is egotistical? Does he say that because he, he needs Eric? He just knows that is what is best. And a faith that is not confessed is not a saving faith. Just a few chapters earlier in John chapter 5, Jesus would say, How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the, holy, from the uh, only God? Let me read that again. John chapter 5, verse 44. How can you believe? What kind of belief is John chapter 3? Well, what we've looked at so far is we've tried to look at what does, you know, what is the big picture of the Bible? And then we've kind of tried to hone in here on the gospel in the gospel of John. What do we learn from the gospel of John? Well, one of the things we learn from the gospel of John is that a faith that is not confessed is not a saving faith. So there, there's not just a, the gospel of John teaches. How can you believe? How can you believe in a saving sense, that is? Who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? When you, you know, in my Bible I have next to John chapter 12 and verses uh, that we read just a moment ago, verses 42 and 43, I have John chapter 5, verses 41, and especially verse 44. For they loved, this is going back to John 12, 43, they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. That's not a saving kind of faith. If we think that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and we don't confess that because we're afraid we're going to be kicked out of our families, because we are afraid we're going to lose our jobs, because we're afraid we're going to lose our friends, because we are afraid of losing some kind of popularity contest or prestige or money or whatever it may be. If you have a rich uncle who says, hey, listen, when I die, I'm going to leave you a billion dollars, but not if you confess Jesus. <laughs> confess Jesus all day long. Listen, God's going to take care of us. 
one way or another. Matthew chapter 6, I don't have to worry about where I'm going to hang my hat, where I'm going to lay my head, if I'm going to have clothing to wear and a roof over my head. We trust saving biblical faith is a trusting faith, not a mere mental acknowledgement of who Jesus is. You know, Robert McCloskey was a children's author who years ago wrote, I know you believe you understand what you think I said, but I'm not sure you realize that what you heard is not what I meant. (laughs) It's one of my favorite quotes. Let me read it again. Sometimes I almost think I should scribble up there, you know, husband and wives conversations. (laughs) I know you believe you understand what you think, what you think I said. But I'm not sure you realize that what you heard is not what I meant. You know, I wish I had a journal of all the times that Jana said something where I was like, do what? Now, how many times she would talk about it? In fact, that happened this weekend already where she was mentioning someone or something and I was thinking of this person or this thing and she was talking about this thing and I was like, I was so confused. I'm not sure that you realize what you heard is not what I meant. Let's allow John... Let's allow God, let's allow the Holy Spirit who inspired the Gospel of John to explain what believe means in John 3.16. So in the last just few minutes here of Bible class, I'm sure I have a lot more time left. Six minutes, all right. So in the last six minutes, here we go. John chapter 3. Notice that just before verse 16, you read this. And Moses, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. What happened there? Well, remember Numbers chapter 21? There was grumbling and complaining among the Israelites, and God sent venomous vipers among them as punishment for their sins. Yes, God does punish people. We see this throughout the Scriptures. And Moses, you know, wanted to to intercede on behalf of the Israelites once again, and God said, put up a bronze serpent in the middle of the camp. And when they look upon it, they will be healed. This, Jesus is referring back to this just before John 3.16. The reason I bring this up is, number one, it's in the passage. Number two, let me ask you this. What if someone who had been, you know, if if Eric is bitten by a spider or snake or something, listen, I, I hit... I, hit, I told y'all, I hurt my little pinky toe at the hotel room in the dark. And listen, I just, you know, I probably milked it a little bit. Like, honey, my toe is killing me. I'm a, I'm a big wimp, let me tell you. Like, if I got bit by a venomous, venomous viper, you, you know where I'd probably be? In bed, in my tent, in the wilderness there, in the wanderings of the 40 years, you recall, in the, the deserted area. But if I just thought that, oh, God will heal me if I look on the serpent. If I just thought that, would that be a saving? Would I be healed? No. You see, and that Israelite camp was very large. They would either have to get, I mean, hundreds of thousands, yea, millions of people. There were, there were over 600,000 fighting men of Israel, plus women and children. So well over a million Israelites And there's one pole with the bronze serpent on it. They had to go to it, see it, look at it to be healed. That was the condition. Hmm. 
They couldn't just stay in their tents? Nope. You mean they had to get up and walk or get carried there? Yes. We read that right before John 3 and verse 16. Or how about the statement in John chapter 3 and verse 5? This conditional statement. Most assuredly, I say to you, he was talking to Nicodemus here. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Does that sound, is that different than what is stated in John 3.16? Yes, it's different. Is it stated in perfect harmony? Absolutely. In perfect harmony. You mean these verses don't contradict? Not at all. But must we be born of water and the Spirit? Absolutely. Must you believe? Absolutely. Well, wait a minute. You see, it's not an either-or situation. It's a what? It's a both and. And it all fits together perfectly. Well, what is this water talking about? You know, a lot of people, they'll say, well, uh, it's not baptism. Well, wait a minute. Just a page earlier in my Bible, I can read where John, the baptizer that is, he baptized with water, John chapter 1, verse 26. Verse 28, beyond the Jordan, John was baptizing. Verse 31, I came baptizing with water. Verse 33, I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water. I mean, this is all over the place at the beginning of the Gospel of John. A page or two later, you can read in John chapter 3, verse 22, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and what? Baptized. John chapter 3, verse 23, John also was baptizing in Salem because there was much water there. I guess maybe baptizing, immersing is a little bit more than sprinkling, right? John chapter 3, verse 26, at the end of that verse, He is baptizing and all are coming to Him. John chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus Himself did not baptize but His disciples. That, this is all over the place. And we could go throughout the Scriptures and say, well, Eric, what does it mean being baptized of water and the Spirit? Well, it's the Spirit's message. I believe this is the proper understanding of this that leads one to the watery grave of baptism. Paul would say this to the Ephesians. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the Word. By whose Word? The Spirit's Word that leads one you see, we are baptized into one body by one Spirit. The Spirit's Word is what cleanses us. We are begotten again. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible seed, through the Word of God which lives and abides forever. Whose Word is it? Who inspired men to write the Word? Being born of water in the Spirit is in the same chapter that you can read about being, uh, believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Probably won't have much more time than this. There's more that could be said. But boy, John 3.36 is a very important verse, I think, in light of this whole conversation. John 3 and verse 36, I'm reading from the New King James, but let me just say that I believe that other translations do a better job with this verse than the New King James. And I'll tell you why. Because in the New King James you read, And he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. Okay. And he who does not believe 
the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. Some of you have a different translation. Maybe a New American Standard, American Standard, an English Standard Version, some other translation probably has, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not obey the Son shall not see life. The fact is, those are two different Greek words that should be translated differently. He who believes has everlasting life, and that's from the Greek pestuo. And the other Greek word is apotheo, which means... In this context, it means disobey. If you don't believe, you're what? You're disobeying. And by the way, this is not the only time in the New Testament where you will see these two thoughts uh, juxtaposed or contrasted to each other. In fact, we just read a moment ago from 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23. In chapter 2, you'll read where Peter says this, Therefore... To you who believe He is precious, but to those who are disobedient or disbelieve. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and a stone of, st of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient, or from the Greek, apatheo, to the word to which they also were appointed. My, my point is, when you look at... if you. If you put next to John 3.16, John 3.14 and 15, John 3.5 and John 3.36, you will see that in the very passage in which this blessed verse is stated, you will have contextual indicators that help us to understand that belief is more, believing, a saving belief in Jesus is more than a mental assent to who Jesus is. Thank you for your kind attention. We have some wonderful young people coming back in to the auditorium. Let me just say this in the back. A um, few little books from Apologetics Press. Take a look at those if you want to. These uh, debate DVDs uh, that from the Kyle Butt Scott, uh, Blair Scott debate, they're all free. Feel free to pick up as many of those as you want. we got plenty. Uh, this book was 10 bucks. It's now 5 bucks. It's a great book on the inspiration of the Bible. Highly recommend it. So pick those up if you would like, as many as you want. This little book uh, is one of my favorite evangelism tools. Seven reasons. It's reasons to believe. Seven reasons to believe in God. Five reasons, three reasons to believe the Bible. Five reasons to believe in Jesus. And chapter four goes along with what we just talked about here in Bible class. Four reasons to do more than just, quote unquote, just believe. That's chapter four. It's a hundred page little book. They're normally five bucks. You can have it for $2.50. Listen, you can hardly buy I don't think you can buy a king-size Snickers bar at the... Y'all, I went to the gas station the other night on the way home just to get something to drink. And I was like, $3.50 for a Gatorade. I was like, what has happened? I mean, for a water, it's like two bucks now. I thought water was supposed to be free. I just want some water. Uh, $2.50 for a 100-page little book that will help people if they will read it and ponder on it. Feel free to take those. Uh, thank you for your kind attention. Look forward to worshiping our awesome God together.